Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Today, we close out our series in Colossians. If you came in late, my name's Stephen, one of the pastors here, and this summer season has been just incredibly rich as we've walked through this packed, beautiful, inspiring book of Scripture. Uh, Colossians has always been something that God has used to get under my skin a bit. It's just one of my favorite books of Scripture. And the big theme of Colossians has been Jesus as Lord over all. In these last couple weeks, we've been talking about how in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our work, in our words, in all of life, in all of our relationships— We serve the Lord because he indeed is Lord over all. In all of life, we serve the Lord because he is Lord over all. And today, we turn the corner to the final words of Colossians. Um, What I want to do is actually start by praying. I'd love to pray even for the Zayas family. Um, Let's pray, uh, inviting the same spirit who wrote Colossians to give us ears to hear it, eyes to see it afresh today. So join me in prayer. Jesus Thank you that we come here not as, you know, uh, people to be entertained or for performance. We come here as a family, and our hearts are for one another. And so, Lord, we pray um, for the Zayas family. We pray for healing. We pray for uh, answers. We pray for comfort. Uh, right now, Lord, um, as your people are gathered, we ask for you to, to move. We ask for you to, to act. We ask for you to intervene in a scary situation. Lord, I thank you that your word has provided a comfort uh, for your people for thousands of years. And Lord, would you use it today to inspire us, to comfort us, to spur us on. Lord, those of us that need to hear uh, comfort, would we hear it? Those of us who need to be spurred on and and warned and encouraged, Lord, would that that word uh, do this to our hearts as well. Jesus, be big. Uh, Spirit of God, would you guide this time? We give it to you now. And all God's people said, amen. All right, guys. Summer of 2008. How many of you guys remember where you were? Summer of 2008. I had just finished high school. Some of you, that, that's a scary thought for you. Some of you uh, in youth are like, you're really old. Uh, summer of 2008, there was this little movie called Iron Man. Maybe you've heard of it. A little indie film called Iron Man. Have you heard of it? only launched the entire like, Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, 20 plus movies, all the TV shows, and maybe most notable in our house, you know, my, my five-year-old son's favorite pair of underwear, right? Or uh, the Avengers there. I'm not alone. Uh, 2008, I remember Tony Stark, right? Iron Man, the suit, the story. It was epic. I've never seen anything like it. But I remember people telling me, maybe the most notable thing I remember from Iron Man in 2008 was you needed to sit through the credits. Uh, They told me, like, there's this important post-credit scene that you you don't want to miss because if you miss it, you're going to be lost. I remember thinking, like, why would I sit through the credits, like, this is just like a rant. This is 2008, you know? This is a while ago. It was like 15 years ago. This is, why would I sit through a random list of names? Like, I'm not, I don't have family in, like, the hairdressing industry or, like, a makeup artist. Or so, like, oh, cool, there I am, and now I'm gone. Like, I don't have a visual effects artist in the family. I'm trying to find his name. Like, why would I sit through credits, right? Uh, but this Iron Man movie changed the way that we go to the movies and changed the way we perceive things like credits. See, what happened was, uh, you know, through these list of names, all of a sudden, Nick Fury, the character with the eye patch, Samuel L. Jackson's character, comes on the screen and, and, and says to Tony Stark, Iron Man, that he's here to talk to him about the Avengers initiative. And I remember sitting there in the theater, and people were, like, screaming and shouting and all excited, and I kind of was like, I don't, honestly don't know what that is, but it sounds important. And now we're all like, oh, we know what the Avengers are. This is, like, 
changed cinema. This has like changed pop culture. He said, you know, the Avengers are coming, and the rest was history, right? See, uh, uh, there was this massive clue in the credits. In the midst of this random list of names, if you wouldn't have sat through it, you would have missed this massive bit of information, this gaping hole in the viewer's understanding that this wasn't just about Iron Man, right? The Avengers were coming. If you didn't sit through the list of names, if you wouldn't have paid attention, you would have missed a massive hole in the upcoming 20 movies. And it might be tempting today to view the end of Colossians just as a random list of names that has little impact on our lives. But like in Iron Man, in these credits of Colossians, there are also actually massive revelations, profound truths that we do not want to miss this morning. So friends, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Colossians 4, 7 to 18. We're looking at the final verses of the book. Are we ready to jump in? Ready to go. Let's do it. Starting in verse 7. Be up on the screen here. Starting in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So before we get too far into this, let's get our bearings on this text a little bit. A reminder, if if we're new, uh, just getting plugged in or anything like that, where have we been? A a reminder, Paul is writing this letter from prison, uh, likely in Rome. We saw in the letter's opening uh, that he's accompanied by his essentially son in the faith, Timothy, who's likely scribing this letter for Paul. And so what he's doing is Paul is sending his trusted brother Tychicus, because Paul's never met the Colossians. So he's sending Tychicus to go to the Colossians to, one, deliver this letter that we're now reading called Colossians. So he's delivering the letter. But two, he's also sending Tychicus to update the Colossians on Paul's happenings. To, to the greater Christian community, updates around that, and also to encourage them. We see that in the text. But three, Tychicus is a trusted brother who can authenticate Paul's words versus the words of the false teachers in Colossae. We've seen all throughout this letter just false teachers that are corrupting the faith of this new church. And Paul is sending a trusted brother who can correct, who can encourage, and who can authenticate the truth of the gospel. And to color this in even more, uh, Tychicus is being sent from Rome, not just with the letter of Colossians, but also we see that uh, uh, he's also sent with the letter of Ephesians and Philemon as well, to deliver them all in the same general area, uh, into the Laodicean Valley, which is in present-day Turkey. And so what we see is Tychicus has these three letters with him going from Rome to Colossae, sent from Paul. But he isn't alone. Keep reading. Verse 9. He... Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And we just got to pause here. We got to camp out for, for a bit. We're going we're gonna, to we're pause here at this verse for a while. This is a massive scene in the credits. This is the Avengers initiative. <laughs> this, is, this is a massive scene in the credits. So the question is, who is Onesimus? Who is Onesimus? Well, first, what does the text say about him? It says right up there, right? He's a faithful, dear brother. Faithful, dear brother. So, so first, we know he's a disciple of Jesus. But it also says that he is one of them, which means that he's from Colossae. He's one of the Colossians. See, the Colossians, they have never met Paul, but they've met Onesimus. They know Onesimus. But they would not have known Onesimus as faithful, dear brother, 
That's not how they would have known him. They would have known Onesimus by another story. Onesimus was the runaway slave of Philemon. Onesimus was the runaway slave of Philemon. Church, we cannot miss this. Notice in that, in that text there, Paul does not even refer to Onesimus as a slave. He only refers to him as brother, beloved, part of the family and community. We cannot overstate just how radical and how subversive this was. Like, just what a massive moment this is. See, Paul often refers to people in his letters, he refers to Tychicus as a fellow servant or a fellow slave in the Lord. We'll see later, fellow servant, fellow servant, like all, all over the place. He refers to himself as this, a servant of the Lord. But with Onesimus, he will not allow the Colossians to view him by any identity other than brother. He is the one name he will not call Onesimus his slave. He says, you know him by that story, but now you will know him by another. He is faithful brother. This entire thing is loaded with subversive tension here. And what we know, if we look at the whole Bible, Paul doesn't just say this to the Colossians. Paul doesn't just tell the Colossians, hey, this is your fellow brother, Onesimus. He actually says it as well to the person in power who can actually do something about this situation, who's actually a member of this church. See, Paul, he speaks to the slave owner himself, Philemon. Paul also has a word for Philemon. And I doubt many of us make it a weekly rhythm to study the little book of Philemon. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't even know this was a book in the Bible until like high school. I was like, well, Philemon, what is this? Like, uh, this is a little book at the end of the New Testament. If you have your, your Bibles, look at the table of contents. Uh, uh, I, I thought we could use a little refresher here on Philemon. So what we're going to do, we're going to have some fun with this. Uh, we're actually going to read the entire letter of Philemon together. Uh, you can tell your friends this morning, you know, hey, what you, would you cover in church? We covered books of the Bible. We, we take the Bible so seriously at 20. We cover books. It's 25 verses. We're not covering the whole Psalms or anything. So uh, uh, you ready to dive into Philemon? Ready to do it? Let's do it. All right, here's the letter to Philemon. 25 verses. Let's look at it together. I'll, I'll pause throughout, but let's, let's jump in. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, sounds familiar, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow coworker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home, Philemon. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership, Philemon, with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love, Philemon, has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Verse 8, keep moving. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now, and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to you and to me. Pause for a second here. See, Paul, what he's saying, uh, d don't miss the tone of this letter as well. I know it's the tone as well as we'll keep reading in a second. You'll see it. Like Paul says, I could order you what to do, Philemon. I could order you. I could be so bold as to order you what to do, but I would rather appeal to you. I'd rather appeal to you. 
I also want, I also want us to notice how Paul addresses someone in the church who's in a position of authority. If you've read the book of Acts, you, you see how Paul is very deferential to the Romans, right? But to Philemon, someone that he has actual authority over, he ain't pulling punches. Like Philemon's loading up, or Paul's pulling up haymakers here. Like he's, he is not pulling a single punch here. Look at what he says in verse 12. I am sending him Onesimus, who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, again, remember, he's a runaway slave. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. And then do not miss verse 16. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And just like that, Paul sets a bomb under the entire institution of slavery. Sets, a, sets a, an explosive device under the entire institution, subversively changing the course of history as this letter would inspire generations to come of Christ followers who would rightfully seek to eradicate all of the demonic evil forms of slavery throughout history. From the transatlantic in our nation's history, the demonic, evil, perverse reality that was, to the human trafficking that plagues our world today. I was actually at a concert this week where I found out that through International Justice Mission, some of you know that organization, there is more people in human trafficking and slavery today than at any point in human history. Philemon has a powerful and still relevant word to us today. The scriptures are clear, so let me be clear. Every single person Every single person, without exception, is made in the image of God and therefore has inherent, not earned, not have to work for, inherent dignity and respect and value. No matter where you are from, it doesn't matter what border you had to cross, it doesn't matter what part of the world you were born and raised into, every single person has inherent dignity, value, and worth. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what you have done, you cannot unearn being made in the image of God. It doesn't matter what you've done or what has been done to you. It does not matter the color of your skin. All men, women, from unborn to old, are made in the image of God and have inherent dignity, inherent respect, and inherent value. But Paul says something even more to the church there in verse 16. He says to Philemon, Onesimus is not just your fellow man. It's not just that you are equals. He is not just your fellow man, but your brother in the Lord. See, Paul ups the ante for the church. We are not just equals in humanity, but we are brothers in family. We are not just equals in humanity, although amen and amen and amen so, but we are also brothers in family. Are we tracking? Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, Philemon, if you consider me, Paul, a partner, welcome Onesimus. Welcome him as you would welcome me. 
Wow. Uh, Paul's saying, you would welcome me with hospitality, with dignity, with respect, with reverence. You would, you would set out a table for me. You would take care of me. You would treat me with honor. You would treat me as a brother. Welcome him. Welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, Philemon, charge it to me. Philemon, oh, or Onesimus owes something to Philemon. He is a runaway slave. He owes him something. And Paul is saying, I mean, just look at what Christian leadership does. It says, though he owes you something, charge it to my account. Charge it to me. I'm the person in the position of authority. I'm the one, uh, as we'll see, look what it literally says here. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> Not to mention you owe me your very life. But if, I, but if Onesimus owes you anything, charge it to me. But don't forget, you owe me your very life. Again, the subversive tension is just bursting out of Philemon, right? Paul's saying, if Onesimus owes you anything, charge it to my account. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Essentially, treat this former runaway slave of yours as you would treat me, a brother full of dignity and respect. It's just like, wow. Not to mention you owe me your very life. Verse 20. I love that he gets that in there, right? Like, lest you forget... You owe me your very life, but sure, you can charge him something, but charge it to me. It keeps up in the end. Watch this. I do, not, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21. <laughs> Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I even ask. <laughs> I can just picture a parent, you know, their kids going, teenagers going out to prom, and they're like, I just want to tell you, like, have a great night. But confident, you know, we talked 11 p.m., right? Confident of your obedience. I know you'll do even more than I ask of you. I'll see you at 11. Have a great night. There's no way. You're, you're not showing up. At 80, you're there 1059. You're not missing a single minute there. I mean, goodness gracious. Parents, you're learning some tricks here from Paul. It's amazing. I'm confident of your obedience. You'll do even more than I ask. Again, you owe me your very life. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Philemon. And that is the book of Philemon. Well done, everybody. History altering 25 verses. That still have something profound to say to us today. See, this description of Onesimus Let's not forget, we're, we're in Colossians here. I know we covered another whole book of the Bible, but uh, Onesimus is referred here at the end of Colossians and in the book of Philemon, not as a slave, but a brother. And, and these two texts, they really are just an application of something Paul's already said in Colossians 3, verse 11. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. Paul says this here. He's talking about in God's house, in God's kingdom, in this church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. See what Paul is saying and showing. We're saying that the, the demarcation lines, the dividing uh, walls here will no longer define us. What defines us, what, what, what is our demarcation, our primary demarcation is Christ. Not slave or free, not Jew or Gentile, not our, our ethnic lines. Our primary demarcation is Christ. Paul is saying and showing the world may wrongly 
relate to one another as slave and free. But in this household of God, we are called to relate to one another as family. And see, church, I I believe Paul, in this call he gives, both to the Colossians and Philemon, still has an echo for us today. I believe there's still a word. I mean, we just heard that there's more people in slavery than ever before. There's still a word for us today. I think there might be some other applications literally for us in the room. In a world full of racial division, our call is one of brotherhood and unity. In the world, there is racial division, but our call today is one of brotherhood and unity. There is political strife and division all around us. But our call in this kingdom, the call is unity, not around partisan politics, but around the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We may be surrounded by preferential treatment, prejudice, or injustice around socioeconomics, around age or gender. But in this household, no. We are called to a better way. We are commanded to show a different way as the family of God, to live in the way of brotherhood, of sisterhood, of sacrificial love, of justice, of compassion, of mutual respect and solidarity. Are you with me? Amen. This can't just be me saying this. That has to be us. And I think, like, this is a word to us today because, sadly, we, this is still needed today. This is still needed today. This is something we're called up to as an individual family and as the collective church as a whole. We are called to show the way of family. And if we can't do this, if we can't be one in the midst of all the division around all the stuff that we all know about, what hope is there for the world? What hope is it if the light of the world, as Jesus calls us the light of the world, if we are not shining? What hope is there? Jesus has called us out to shine as salt and light and show a better way. Let us show a better way. All right. So Tychicus and Onesimus, back to Colossians. They're delivering these letters, right? You got these three letters. You got the Colossians, you got Ephesians, we got Philemon. And I just, I just want to say, like, can you imagine? Like Onesimus is there with these letters. And he comes up to Philemon, and he's like, you're going to want to read this one, buddy. I'm gonna, I'll wait. I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to take a seat. You imagine, like, Paul isn't done, though, with the credit scene in Colossians. Let's, let's get back to our text, verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. Here, here's a pro tip. Do I know how to pronounce that? No. I'm just saying it fast. I'm saying it clear. And you're not going to correct me. So just say it fast. Say it clear. Keep moving. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. I think we, can know, we know that one. Uh, the, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him, Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice. We just got to pause. Like, yeah, if your name was Jesus, you got to change your name, buddy. Like, that name's taken now. Uh, what was your middle name? Jesus Justice. I, you're Justice now. Uh, he sends his greetings. Uh, yeah, they don't want to get confused. Like, Jesus, is that? we're going to Colossae. Like, we're going back to Rome. Uh, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They have proved a comfort to me. Uh, back it up, verse 10. Uh, it tells us that Aristarchus is in prison with Paul saying hello, right? 
And I would say this part of the letter, it starts to feel a little bit like I'm on a FaceTime call back home with my family. I can picture like it's Christmas morning, you know, and all these people are like saying hi. I'm like with my dad or something. And, you know, all the families there, cousins, aunts, uncles are all there. And everyone's jumping on the call. I'm like, I want to see my mom and dad on Christmas or something. And, and I'm, you know, everyone hopping on. Like, oh, what's up? It's good to see you. You know, like, you know, Aunt Noelle's popping in. This is a real person. You know, it's like, oh, Stephen, it's so good to see you. And then I got like my cousin Johanna's on there being like, how are the boys doing? Oh, please tell Kelsey I say hi. Like, oh, it's so good to see you. Yeah. It's like, all right, got to go. And it's like chaotic, you know, FaceTime call. It's so good to see everybody there for a quick second. Everyone's got to get their, like, hello in. They're asking you how you're doing, but they're actually not asking you to give an answer. They're really just saying hello. You know, like, we've all been there, right? But like my family and like your family, these aren't just a random list of names. These are real people with real stories, Right? Like all those, again, these are real people. I really have an Aunt Noelle, an Aunt Nikki, a cousin Johanna, a, a cousin Olivia. These are real people with real stories. And the fact that they're there says something. And imagine for your story, can you imagine how different the call takes on a, a, a new meaning if your Uncle Will, who's been struggling with substance abuse for years, and he's been in and out of rehab, he's actually there. And you see him in the background of the call, and you're like, Will's there. Oh, my gosh. It's so good to see him. Like, oh, that must mean he's sober. Like, oh, my goodness, it's so good to see him. Like, oh, get Will on the call. I want to say hi, right? Then all of a sudden you notice in the background of that call, like, maybe you have two family members, maybe they're siblings, and they haven't talked to each other for years. They wouldn't be in the same room together. And all of a sudden you see them sitting next to one another at the dining room table. And you think to yourself, like, oh, they've finally done it. They finally got reconciled. Like, how different does that call take on? Again, these are not random names. Their very presence there means something significant. Right? I would say, like, the same thing is happening. We get a glimpse into this with Mark being mentioned. This is another credit scene that we don't want to miss. See, Mark was the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. The New Testament starts with, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is Mark. Uh, He also went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas before Paul's uh, eventual imprisonment that he's writing about now. But Mark, when he went on this journey, he actually abandoned Paul midway through. And then Paul refused to take Mark with him uh, on their their next trip. Um, And there became a rift between them, as you can imagine. And we actually hear nothing about their relationship from that moment until now here in Colossians. Years go by. But what this text tells us, what this window shows us, is that somewhere they were reconciled and restored. Somewhere they were reconciled. Mark is there with Paul, sending along his greetings. Mark is there. He's been reconciled to Paul. They've they've done the work. And see what this is. The gospel not only reconciles us to God, it actually reconciles us to one another as well. The gospel, and not just it not only reconciles us to God, although amen and amen and amen it does. There's a vertical reconciliation and restoration that happens, but there's also a horizontal that happens as well. God reconciles us to one another as well. And Paul and Mark are reconciled. See, the gospel, it reconciles. We're slaves, our brothers, and we're brothers who let us down are restored. So the question is, for us today, is there someone that you need to forgive? 
I'm going to trust the Spirit's going to bring someone to mind. Who do you need to ask forgiveness like for? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to apologize to? Is there someone you need to call today and get reconciled to? Is there a brother or sister who hurt you, who let you down, who wronged you? But it's time. It's time to do the work of pursuing peace. And I want to say that this is not passive. It is not passive to pursue peace. It is not passive to pursue reconciliation. It is active. It takes courage, friends. It is hard. It takes maturity. Like this is hard work, but it takes courage and maturity. And see, ultimately, we're getting to reflect Jesus in this work, who although he was the most offended party, he did not sit back and wait for us to come to him and apologize. He died on the cross a long time ago. So we get the great opportunity of reflecting Jesus by pursuing those, even those that wronged us in pursuing peace. This is hard work. But Jesus, the offended party, sought us out. Praise God he didn't just wait for us to get our act together. Like, praise God he didn't wait for me to like, come to myself. And like, He sought me out a long time ago when I was dead in my sin, as Paul says elsewhere. He made us alive in Christ. Amen? See, I'm a person with a story. I'm just like, I'm not just a guy. I think it's tempting to, like, I'm a person who feels things. I'm a person who sins and has been sinned against. I'm not just somebody on a stage, a talking head. Like, I have a story. And I had someone who was like an older brother to me uh, hurt me deeply. This was in the church. He wronged my whole family and left us all with deep wounds. This is part of my story. And about a year ago, um, I felt like I need to text this guy and just give it one more go to try to pursue reconciliation. We tried in the past. It didn't go well. And about a year ago, we were, were able to have a really healing conversation, much tears shed, where he actually asked for forgiveness. We were able to give it. We were able to experience reconciliation. And now we're at peace. This is a beautiful thing. I, my soul, I, literally in that conversation, I felt a physical release. I didn't realize the amount of like tension and weight I was carrying. Like my soul was aching for reconciliation. My soul was aching for forgiveness. It was a beautiful thing. My soul was aching for it, and maybe your soul is aching for it today as well. See, church family, again, we're called to show a better way, not of grudges, of bitterness. We're not called to show the way of cutting people off or you're dead to me. We're called to show the way of forgiveness and love. Wisdom, yes. Boundaries, yes. But radical forgiveness and love as well, yes. We are not allowed as followers of Jesus to tell you, you're dead to me. Boundaries, wisdom, yes. But again, like too often I've seen in the church people bearing the name of Jesus and they're in their relationships, and those who they're in tension with, in, in, in situations of, of, of where there is sin and wrongdoing, not reflecting the gospel. We are called to show a better way of radical forgiveness and radical love. Are you with me? All right. Let's keep moving, verse 12. Epaphras, 
You heard his name in Philemon. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. See, Epaphras' name it probably sounds familiar because you might remember in chapter 1, he's the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians. Uh, he's the one who let Paul know about the situation there. See, Epaphras, he's like the church planter, evangelist, missionary, pastor to Colossae. And hearing his greeting, hearing Epaphras' uh, prayers and words would again authenticate this letter, Colossians. Its teaching would authenticate its teachings from uh, the, the false teachers around them. And it would remind them as well as the affection that Epaphras has for them. See also here in this verse, Epaphras' prayer, it echoes the goal of the entire letter, maturity. What does it say? The maturity of the Colossians is what he's hoping for, what he's praying for that they would stand firm in Christ. It's a major theme in Colossians, if you've been here, that they would be mature in Christ. Verse 13, let's keep moving. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis, that's the surrounding area around Colossae, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Let's look at those last two names. We got two more names on the credit reel. Uh, first, Luke. Um, you, you, you might recognize his name. Uh, a New Testament trivia question here for us. You can take this one to the trivia night. Uh, which author wrote the most of the New Testament? Which author wrote the most of the New Testament? Paul? Some of you are now like, is this a, tri- is, is this a trick question? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. You're discerning. It depends on what you mean. Luke actually wrote the most words of the New Testament. Paul wrote the most books. There you go. There's your trivia answer. Like Luke wrote the most words. If you're just going by pure content, Luke actually wrote the most. But Paul wrote the most books of the New Testament. But here in Colossians, what, one thing we learn about Luke is he's a doctor. You may have heard, oh, he's the doctor. This is where we learned that he, he that was his profession. Uh, you can read all throughout the book of Acts. Luke is with Paul on all the journeys. But there's a second person here. It's Luke, then also the last one, Demas. But the life of Demas is a warning to us today. See, in Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy, he says this. It'll be up on the screen. These are some of the last words we have of Paul. Do your best to come to me quickly. I'm talking about Timothy. For Demas, because he has loved this world, has deserted me. See, Demas, he was with Paul for years. Demas was in full-time ministry. He saw miracles. He heard the good news. He he heard the first account witnesses to Jesus and the resurrection. Demas was there for years. But a good start does not guarantee a good finish. See, we are called, church family, not to a moment of faithfulness. We are not called to a season of faithfulness. We are called to a lifetime of faithfulness. We're not called to a moment. We're not called to a season. We're not called to a weekend of it. We are called to a lifetime of faithfulness. And I'll be honest, I find, as somebody in full-time ministry, I find the life of Demas haunting. I think it'd be easy. It's like, if I was there, I would, I would believe. If I was there, I wouldn't wrestle with my faith at all. If I was there, Demas was there. Judas was there, right? The Pharisees were there. But Demas in love with this world, he deserts his friends in the gospel. In love with this world. We don't know the exact situation. We don't know the exact circumstances. This, this, is, this is the line we have. But I do know this. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know the exact situation, but we know this. Demas is not alone. 
many of those who were once walking well in the way of Jesus have fallen in love with the world and deserted the faith. I have friends and family, this is their story. But I don't want it to be yours. And I'm here, like part of my job as a pastor is to lovingly warn with a pastor's heart to warn and I don't want this to be your story. Let us have wide eyes. Let us be sober-minded because church, stand firm. Stand firm. You are in a war. You have a real enemy who wants you focusing on yourself, wants you serving idols, wants you entertaining sin, wants you loving the things of this world rather than the things of Christ. The enemy would love to convince you that the real problem with the world is a political party out there rather than the sin that's in here. He would love to convince you, your enemy, that the real problem is some dangerous aspect of culture rather than the danger of sin that dwells within. He would love to convince us the main thing is politics. That's how we're going to reach the kingdom of God. He would love to convince you that the way to security and safety is through a 401k. He wants us infatuated with the self, entertaining sin serving idols. Let us not go the way of Demas. Stand firm in the faith. Amen? Let's keep moving. Verse 15. Got about four more. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. This is woman. She hosts uh, the house church. Remember back then the church didn't own property, so they can't gather. I'm so glad that I'm thankful we can gather like this. Many places in the world, they, we cannot gather like this. Uh, I'm, I'm saying politics is not our hope. In any direction, our hope is in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Many places, that would not be allowed to be said publicly. I'm very thankful I can stand with a microphone on a stage and proclaim these things. I'm glad that we can gather here publicly and not have to do it at 2 a.m. in the dark in hiding. So they, they couldn't do this, so they met in homes. We also believe in the importance of meeting in homes, to study the scriptures, eat together, care for one another, building relationships. We just, we just call this community groups, right? You heard about it a minute ago. Like, registrations, they open next Sunday unapologetically. I'm telling you, get in one. Like, come to basics, talk to me. Like, get into one. We, seriously, like, we, we, we say, like, you're not truly, like, experiencing the fullness of life in Jesus or the fullness of this church family if you're not in a community group. Uh, so I'd encourage you, get in one. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. See, Paul, what he's telling the Colossians is read this letter aloud in their gathering. That's what we've done over this whole summer. We've read aloud the, the book of Colossians. Then he says, read it to the church in Laodicea up the road. But then also notice it says, read their letter as well. Did you guys catch that? It says, read their letter as well. So the question is, what is this letter from Laodicea? Uh, theologians have two theories. This was fun as I was reading the commentaries and I was like, okay, what is this, right? I, I learned something uh, with this. Uh, there are two theories and both are very plausible. One, it's either the letter we call Ephesians. That's one theory. It's the letter we call Ephesians. It's possible. E Ephesus is located in the Laodicean Valley. So it may just called it the letter to Laodicea, uh, but it was actually what we call the letter of Ephesians. Uh, the second theory, it's just, a, it's just another letter that Paul wrote that's not in our Bible. It's just, we don't have it. Uh, because, and why this would be important, is not everything Paul wrote was scripture. Uh, there was a third letter to Corinthians. We don't have access to it. It's not in our Bibles. See, what's important to remember about this, Paul didn't have like the ability to write scripture. It wasn't like a magic trick he could just like put on and like all of a sudden he's writing scripture. It's just something he could do on command, right? Like 
This isn't magic. No, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture. He spoke through particular people like Luke and Paul. Uh, He wrote through particular people at particular times to write to particular places. It's the Holy Spirit that wrote the Scriptures because God wrote them through Paul, through the authors. That's what makes it authoritative and inerrant and true is God wrote it. And he wrote it to particular people like Colossae, like the book of Colossians we have today. The final two verses. Verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you received in the Lord. We don't know exactly what this was, but this is another good reminder that these are real people in a real place called to do real things. And then the final verse, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. See, in this final verse, Paul takes the pen from the secretary, likely Timothy, both for authentication and for affection. Remember, Paul has not met the Colossians, but he wants to add a personal touch to them. I write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. This is where we know that Paul was in prison. And then those final words, grace be with you. Grace be with you, which is is fitting. It brings the letter full circle because the letter actually started with grace and peace to you. It started with grace and it finished with grace, which is appropriate because the grace of God has saturated this entire letter. Grace. God's undeserved, unearned favor, blessing, salvation. We do not earn God's blessing. We do not earn God's salvation. He freely gave it and we receive it. And this message has permeated the entire thing. So the credits come to a close. But again, these were important windows. In them, in this list of names, we see the subversion of slavery through Onesimus, the beloved brother, as the gospel breaks down every single dividing wall. We see the reconciliation of Mark and the beauty of forgiveness. We see the warning of Demas. Church, we fight the good fight of faith to the end until we meet Jesus face to face face. See, the credits of Colossians, they are are not just a random list of names. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. It is living. It is active in every single corner of the Scriptures, every single pocket of the Bible, every single chapter, every single verse is authoritative and profitable for us today. Amen? All right. Well, church family, we did it. We, we walked through the book of Colossians. We finished two books today. Uh, four chapters, ten weeks. Yes. Yes. What a summer. But uh, before we close, I know that was kind of a weak uh, uh, gratitude. I just wanted to, we, we, we clap and we celebrate and we thank God in worship all the time. We're not, we're not thanking the worship team. We're praising God, right? And so I just want to take a moment. Like, let's thank God for the book of Colossians. Let's, let's thank him for it. It is a gift. So in closing, church family, what do I hope that you'll remember from this summer forever? What do I hope that you'll take with you from the book of Colossians for the rest of your life? Well, I got three things. They're going to be up on the screen. Three things I hope you'll always remember from Colossians, kind of a closing charge to us. I hope you remember, number one, that Jesus is supreme. 
that Jesus is bringing. Jesus is above. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Remember from the beginning of the book, like the, the, the walk-up song, right? We talked about like the walk the ultimate like hype song for Jesus. He's above all things, created all things, sustains all things, holds all things together, right? He reconciles all things. Jesus is supreme, brothers and sisters. And I pray that forever we will keep elevating our view of Jesus Christ, the name above every name. Jesus is supreme. That's the first thing I pray we'll always remember. Number two, the call to maturity. The call to maturity. We are called to mature theology and mature living. This is like inhaling and exhaling. We, we talked about like eh, which one's more important, right theology, right doctrine. Well, which is more important, inhaling or exhaling? Wrong question. We're called to it all. We are all called to mature living, mature marriages, mature home life, mature theology, mature view of finances, mature view of our bodies, like mature view of all of life. And also, like, we have an agenda for your life. Unapologetically as leaders, I have an agenda for you. I'm not trying to do a bait and switch. My agenda is that you'd be mature in Christ. (laughs) That's what this whole thing is about. That's why we open the scriptures, pray, worship. This is about us growing in maturity, becoming more like Jesus. Would we all co-opt this agenda, plagiarize it, steal it from Colossians? and seek to live all of life as mature in Christ? Would we remember the call to maturity? And number three, Jesus is supreme, the call to maturity. And lastly, would we remember that Jesus is Lord over all? This has been the major theme over the entire book. Jesus is Lord over all, and we're called to live all of life, all for him, all of our relationships, all of our words, our sexuality, our resources, our time, our life itself, all of life belongs to Jesus, for he is Lord and King over it all. As Colossians says, as you received Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. In whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And therefore, Live a life worthy of Jesus, who is indeed Lord over all. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are supreme. You are above. You are better. You are Lord. You are Savior. Thank you that you call us to the best life, a life of maturity and love, of grace and peace. Thank you that you call us to a life that's truly the good life, maturity. Lord, thank you that you are Lord over all. Thank you that there is not a single aspect of my life that you are apathetic towards. Thank you that there's not a single aspect of life itself that you shrug your shoulders out and say, I have nothing to say about it. No, you are Lord over it all. Help us as brothers and sisters, as friends, help us to spur each other on to to live like it. As, As your word says in Colossians, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's who he really is. Help us walk in that way. Help us live like it. Jesus, thank you for sending your spirit to Paul that he might write this letter, that it might inspire us, challenge us, spur us on 2,000 years later. Thank you that your word is living and active. And generations are going to come and go. Kingdoms will be built and fall, but the word of God endures forever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.